Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to JotForm Tables. JotForm Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in JotForm Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing JotForm forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. JotForm Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with JotForm tables for free today at sasclub.io slash JotForm. That's sasclub.io slash JotForm. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Martin Gontovnikas, the VP of Marketing and Growth at Auth0. Auth0 is a platform that makes it easier for developers to implement authentication and authorization for web and mobile products. Martin, or Gonto as he's more commonly known, started coding at the age of 12. He was a software engineer most of his career but then a few years ago, decided to move into a marketing role or what he calls the dark side. At Auth0, he developed a six-step engineering approach to marketing. Using that framework, Auth0 has grown from $200,000 a year in revenue to an eight-figure business in less than five years. In this episode, Gonto shares that six-step engineering framework with me and uh, we discuss each step in detail and walk through a real life case study from Auth0. It's a great interview with a ton of really useful insights. If you're looking for a more methodical way to do your marketing, then this episode is for you. And I hope you enjoy it. Gonto, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting. I always like to ask my guests what, what drives or motivates them, get inside their brains a little bit. So is there maybe a a quote that you can share with us or maybe just in your own words, like tell us like what drives or inspires you? Yeah, there's a quote that I love. It's called, it's be yourself because everybody else is taken. It's from Oscar Wilde. And the main reason why I like it is because at first, a lot of times I was afraid to be myself or I was insecure or having imposter syndrome or however you want to call it. And I think that if you are your true self and you're genuine, you're going to be much better than everybody else. And that's what I try to help my team with as well, because I think everybody mostly has the same problems and we're all in this together. Dude, I love that quote. And funnily enough, uh, my wife used that same quote when she was talking to to our son a few days ago. Oh, wow. (laughs) What did she use it for? 
you know, it's kind of start, start of the new school year and, you know, he was trying to do something that he didn't feel comfortable with, but he felt like he <laughs> should be doing. I can't remember exactly what it was. And she just said that to him. She just said, you know, be yourself because everybody else is taken. And I was like, yeah, wow. I, I, yeah, I definitely love the phrase. And I think that a lot of people are afraid of being themselves and that blocks them or make them feel insecure. And I think that people always stays in their brain, assuming a lot of things. And I think it's usually better to just say what you want or just ask questions. And that's it. I think that life and things that happen in general are simple. We just complicate them. Okay. So let's uh, talk a little bit about Auth0. Uh, can you tell, tell us a little bit more about the company? Like what, what problem are you guys trying to solve? Who are your target customers? Yeah, sure. So basically, Outzero helps you with your authentication and authorization needs for your applications. Um, Outzero basically provides thousands of enterprise customers with a universal identity platform for their web, mobile, IoT, and legacy applications. Um, it's very developer-focused on the fact that it's for when somebody's building a custom application. And we basically have a lot of SDKs, so that it's, it's very easy to integrate it to our own applications. And we also have a very extensible platform because we know that every need is different. So they can actually customize how authentication pipeline works with code. And the idea is that um, Outsilo's extensible platform seamlessly authenticates and secures more than 1.5 billion logins um, a month. And our mantra right now is loved by developers and trusted by global enterprises. Got it. And and so is it fair to think about Auth0 as you kind of abstract out some of those other uh, protocols like OAuth and stuff, and you kind of provide an easier way for developers to use those technologies? Yes, exactly. Um, so now the most used one is OpenID Connect, but there's OAuth, SAML, etc. And all of them are hard. And it's even harder if you want to implement something that's enterprise, like Active Directory, SAML, ADFS or something like that. So the idea is that with an SDK and a couple lines of code, you can just implement it yourself without having to worry. Our main idea is you don't even have to understand exactly the protocol to use Outzero, because if it's not that simple, then we're not doing our job. Uh, you talked about enterprise customers. Is that sort of the main focus? Like if somebody's kind of, uh, kind of at an early stage building a SaaS business, uh, would Auth0 be something that would potentially be a fit for them? Or or do you guys kind of position the product sort of differently for different types of customers? No, it, it would definitely fit for them as well. Um, we actually have both self-service plans as well as field deals where a sales guy will talk to you. And for the self-service plans, you can just start. You have the free trial on the website and you pay with the credit card actually using Stripe. Um, and it can cost from... $13 a month to whatever the number is. So it actually, the idea is that we fit it all and that you pay us for the value um, that you're getting. So it's not just for enterprise customers. It's, I would say, for both and it's for any developers. Something that actually has happened a lot to us is that we have developers who do a pet project in their, in their own free time. And then two years later, they join a company and they're like, hey, I tried out Zero. It's awesome. Let's use it. And then they talk to us. Actually, most of our revenue, 80 to 85% of our revenue is inbound and it's through developer love that they sometimes try it small and then convince the company to use us. That's awesome. So tell, tell us a little bit about your role because you have an interesting background, but let's start with what you currently do at Auth0. Yeah, so I'm the VP of marketing and growth at Outzero. So I basically run um, most of marketing and, and, and growth. We have a lot of different teams. We have like seven teams. And as I was saying, we're a very marketing-driven company just because most of the revenue comes through the marketing effort. So that's why I think it's, it's a challenge and it's definitely interesting. So the company was founded, uh, I believe, in 2014? Yeah, 2013, actually. And uh, the two founders are from Argentina, but the company is headquartered uh, here in uh, Washington State, right, in Bellevue. Yeah, exactly. One of the founders um, used to work at Microsoft, and because of that, the headquarters are in Seattle. However, we do have an office in Argentina, as well as now we also have in London, um, Sydney, and we're opening now one soon in Japan. Now, tell me about your background, because uh, you weren't always doing marketing. 
Right. No, I was, I, yeah, yeah, I was actually a systems engineer. Um, I started as a developer. I actually started coding when I was 12, mostly because my uncle was a developer and um, he started teaching me. So, yeah, I, I always joke and I always say that I moved to the dark side now because I moved <laughs> to marketing. And all of my friends that are still developers are like marketing. Oh, you're like all the smoke and mirrors and blah, blah, blah. But I'm a big okay. fan of it. And and so how did you make that transition? Because because you were a developer and for quite a long time, from what I understand. Yeah, exactly. So I was a developer for a long time, and I actually liked doing a lot of open source. And at one point, I was doing Angular JS, and I did a few repositories um, with Angular that got popular. One one of them was called Restangular, and I also had a few others. And because of that, I started to get invited to conferences. And then what happened to me is actually <laughs> that I broke up with my previous girlfriend and I had like an existential life crisis of like, hey, do I want to continue coding? And then what I realized is that I actually, it was actually more fun for me making Restangular popular because we always think that open source just becomes popular. But for me, it was, I wrote a lot of blog posts. I went to the Angular conferences um, and then in there, I was having like speaker dinner, meeting the speakers, etc., who were the Angular core committers and they were promoting Restangular. I was also going daily to Stack Overflow and checking if there were like REST or RESTful APIs questions in there and answering them and telling them like, hey, I'm the writer of Restangular. Maybe you like it. It's about this. So it was a lot of effort. And then I realized that that's what I wanted to do more. And I remember that I stayed up all night one night and I was like, what exactly do I want to do? And I remember there was a guy called James Ward that he worked back then in TypeSafe, uh, working on Scala. And I remember I liked what he was doing, what he was tweeting about. He was like speaking at conferences, writing blog posts, etc. So I looked for him in LinkedIn. I saw he was a developer evangelist. Then I went online. I found a book about what is a developer evangelist by Christian, read it in six hours all night. And then I said, okay, this is what I want to do. And developer evangelist is the development part of marketing because it's still marketing. Um, and that's how I started to move into the, the dark side. So, so break that down for us, like for, for people who are not familiar with that, what does developer evangelism mean? Yeah, so developer evangelism, basically what they do is they help other developers be successful. So when you have a product that is developer focused or they have an API, what they want to do is spread the word. So what I was doing is writing blog posts and content for that, going to conferences, uh, to speak about the product, in my case, about Outzero. Again, I was writing the SDKs, writing some of the docs, writing some of the quick search. So it's all about enabling other developers to be successful in a way that it's marketing, but not marketing. Because I always think that we developers have a very high like bullshit detector. Like every, I don't like when I'm, I feel I'm being sold something. And so how did you land at Zero? So for Out Zero, um, I, I realized I wanted to look for something and I was actually interviewing with um, Mozilla back then as well. But then one of the advisors of um, Out Zero is called Guillermo Rauch. He's the creator of like Socket.io um, and now he's actually the founder of Sites and Now and all of that stuff. And he's a friend of mine and he said like, hey, there's a company that's starting. I'm an advisor. There are like five, six people. Why don't you talk to them? And I started interviewing with them actually for programming when I had this middle like uh, existential crisis. And then I remember sending a, a, an email to the CTO, to Matias saying like, hey, I know I've been doing the interview. I don't want to be a developer anymore. What I want to do is developer evangelist. So if you're looking for one, that's awesome. If not, I, I'll continue looking somewhere else. And they were actually looking for one. And that's how I ended up in Outsido. So I, th I think there was a lot of serendipity. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I was kind of really intrigued by when I was kind of doing research on you and kind of looking at your uh, website, which is at gon.to, you you kind of talked about this, an engineering approach to marketing and, and the rise of the CTMO. What, is, what does CTMO mean? So to me, CTMO is the chief of the technological marketing office. Uh, where does that term come from? I I made it up, so I don't know where it came from. I think it's just, it was just an idea in my brain. <laughs> That's awesome. So on your site, you you kind of laid out a, a methodology for sort of an engineering approach to marketing, and 
uh, I, I kind of just read the introduction in this in terms of, you know, marketing is all about sending the right message to the right audience to get an expected response. Even though this sounds easy, it's certainly not. An engineering approach approach lets you decompose this big problem into smaller pieces that you can tackle by running continuous experiments that are validated by data. And you kind of laid out like a six-step methodology uh, for sort of approaching marketing. And I thought it would be really interesting for us to sort of deep dive into this and learn from you in terms of, you know, what is this methodology? What are these six steps? And maybe kind of walk through some examples uh, so people who are listening to this can kind of understand the methodology and if it kind of, you know, resonates with them, uh, maybe they can go and try it with what they're doing and, and maybe have a, uh, a, maybe a, a maybe different sort of methodology, me- methodology to sort of approach their marketing. So does that sound good? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, as some background, um, I think that in general before, marketing was very similar to what people can see in Mad Men. It was like whiskey and cigars for me. So you had a whiskey, a cigar, you were drinking, and it's like, this is the message I want to do. This is what we're doing now. And it was very gut feeling or let's try something and that's it. And I think that now uh, we have so much data. Um, like Harari speaks about that in Sapiens and Homo Deus, about how there's so much data right now that why shouldn't we use it in marketing? So that's that's why I started thinking of this. And mostly, actually, I have to say that I started using an engineering model for marketing because I knew nothing about marketing. So I was given the opportunity to run marketing at Outsider and I had no idea of what to do. So because of that, I said, let's try an engineering approach and a process because maybe with a process, I can get um, better ideas. So talking a little bit about the process, um, the first part is about decompose. It's decomposing your problem into smaller pieces. And uh, when I started running marketing in Outsido, the biggest problem we had is that we were flat on signups. We were having very small signups every month. It wasn't growing. We didn't know what it was. And that problem seems very scary. And you don't know exactly like what to do. So I need to decompose the problem. And the first thing that I thought is like, how can I decompose the problem? And to me, decomposing the problem is around understanding the problem more. So what I started doing, even though I was a developer, I I started doing some qualitative interviews on developers around what do they do? What are their habits? Why? So I just found some of the signals that we got in Alcido, some other people as well, and start doing calls and asking them like, hey, like what happens if you like when... When you have an authentication problem, like have you have have you ever had any of those? Um, what have you tried? What do you do when you get blocked? Um, and a lot of them were saying like, "Hey, I search on Google." Okay, and what do you search in Google for? And they were giving me specific things that they search. I was also asking them about what do they want to learn? How do they search for SaaS or for technologies? And also talking to them about what are what do they do during the day? Like when do they use the computer? When do they use Twitter? Um, why, how, what are their habits, and just trying to understand a little bit more about them. And by doing that, I started understanding a little bit more about why we weren't growing on signups. And it had to do with the fact that we weren't reaching to them in the right way. So back then we were doing some ads on Google and Facebook. And by talking to them, what I realized is they all have adblock, they all have custody. So of course they are not gonna see the ads. so, however, they were saying, for example, that they do use Twitter because they like learning things using Twitter, uh, using the app. And for that, maybe we thought, okay, maybe we can do ads for that. Other things they were saying is that most of the time they spend it Googling when they have problems. So then maybe that could be another thing that we can solve. So we basically started separating this into different stuff and different problems that we saw and different things that we could try to experiment with something. And the first one that I focused with, because it was the one that was repeated the most, was when I have a problem, I Google about the problem. So that moves us to the second step, which is, okay, let's formulate an hypothesis for each. And my my hypothesis for this case was, okay, if every time they have an authentication problem, they Google, what if we write content for exactly what they are looking for? I was seeing that the competition was creating content for single sign-on, which is like another definition of authentication. But when I was talking to developers, none of them said single sign-on. They were saying authentication, controller, Angular. 
um, React, Redux, Authentication, I'm, I'm blocked, or something like that. So we said, okay, let's start formulating an hypothesis that maybe if we write content for the blog, for those specific searches, then we're going to start getting more people to use the product and use Outzilla. So then it was around, okay, um, let's define a metric, a time frame, and a goal for this. So what we said is, okay, let's focus first on AngularJS. Let's write um, three articles during the span of one month around how you can implement authentication in AngularJS using Outzilla. And each of the blog posts would focus on different parts and different searches that I was getting from the developers. Um, the metric was going to be signups because the problem was that we were blocked on, we were flat on signups. So what I wanted to see is an increase on signups. However, the secondary metrics, what I picked was page views. So how many people are seeing this page on the blog and what is the conversion rate? So how many people who see this page eventually convert to a signup? And then the goal was actually just increasing a little bit based on the baseline that we had from other articles and the fact that we were blocked. So once that was defined, the idea was, okay, let's run the experiment. Running the experiment means writing the three pieces of content, waiting the month to see if the signups um, come up, and then verify. So what we decided, as I said, was we wrote three articles about how to implement authentication in AngularJS using Outzero and for, different, for three different use cases. So we waited, and then the next step was, okay, let's now verify the data. So we checked and actually the experiment failed. It was, <laughs> it was like a huge <laughs> failure. Um, but that's why verifying data is important because I think that an experiment does only fails if you don't check at the data and you don't try to think about what this, that this mean. If you, if you do that, then it doesn't fail, even if the numbers doesn't match. So we checked so the how data. Did, how, did, how did this yeah. fail in terms of the... Like the the um, the whole thing failed, or you weren't getting enough. We weren't getting signups from the articles. Yeah. We weren't getting signups, so we didn't understand exactly what was going on, and that's why we digged a little bit deeper. And what we saw there is that we were getting actually a lot of page views, but the conversion rate to sign up was very bad. So we digged even deeper into page views, and the problem was that the page views came from people who already were outside users. So they already knew of the product and they were trying to find better ways because they were blocked with authentication in Angular and they were trying to understand, hey, I'm using Outzero, I'm blocked, what do I do? So based off of that, we, we decided to actually iterate, which I think is the, the, the this next and final step of this process. And the iteration was, okay, this means that the people who are seeing the blog are already Outzero users, but we did increase the page view. So content does work for developers. So let's try another type of content. And what we decided to try was what's called greenfield content. So instead of writing about how to implement authentication without zero in Angular, we said next experiment is let's write about three use cases about how to add authentication in general in Angular and then have a small aside about, hey, if you don't want to do this, you can use Outzero. That was the next experiment that we tried. And that was basically, again, we needed to formulate, define, run, verify, and then continually to iterate over those. So when we did greenfield content, I will fast forward, and what happened was that we had very few page views, but we had a very high conversion rate. So signups, it still failed because signups grew, but only a little. Uh, but what, I, what we checked was conversion rate was great. We had very few page views. So the problem was that SEO wasn't enough. So then the next iteration was, okay, what if we start sharing this? So we started creating a distribution list and start sharing this on Hacker News, Reddit, JavaScript Weekly, Ruby Weekly, etc. And once we started doing that, the third experiment, it finally worked because now we were having more page views, a, a still a very good conversion rate, and we were increasing signups. Once that worked, we said, okay, what other problem, what other thing can we do? Can we iterate and make this better or should we focus on another part, another piece of the problem, which for example was, instead of doing ads with Google and Facebook, let's try them on Twitter. And that's how we try to do this more and more. 
And that's actually how we built the marketing team in general. What I always think about this is we have a team that is always doing experimentation. They experiment, they experiment, they experiment, they experiment. When something starts working, we spin up a team for that because that works. So let's add more. So our first hires were technical writers. Now we have a team of 10 technical writers that are continually writing content for Outzero and trying new ideas and trying new experiments. And then once that works and we have a new team for that, it's like, okay, let's try another experiment with another experimentation team until it works. And then again, let's spin up another team. And that's the process that we actually still use at Outzero. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupos has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash BUPOS. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with BUPOS.com. To summarize the six steps, uh, number one is to decompose, which Mm -hmm. is what you really talked about in terms of uh, breaking down the problem into smaller pieces. Number two was to formulate, which is formulate a hypothesis for each of those uh, problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, third step is define, which is define a metric and a time frame and a goal mm-hmm. uh, for whatever experiment you're going to run. Step four is run the actual experiment. Five is go back and verify the data. Did you actually prove or disprove your hypothesis? Uh, what does the data tell you? Uh, what new insights do you have? And then step six is uh, iterate and, and pick your next problem. And kind of the example you described, you kind of basically went through that process a few times uh, before you were able to get the desired result in terms of increasing signups. Yeah, exactly. And I think that sometimes a lot of people get frustrated because they try something and it doesn't work. And I think that most things don't work the first time you do that. They never do. So it's about being anti-fragile and continuing to work on that and iterate and iterate and iterate until you either find that like definitive results that it's not working or it starts working somehow. Yeah, I'd love to kind of dive into this uh, a little bit more. So when you talk about like step one, decomposing, uh, what what's the process that you or your team go through to try and decompose a problem? Like what are some of the questions that you ask yourselves to kind of break that problem down? So in general, we try, I, I try to div- we try to divide this into two different parts, like qualitative research and quantitative research. So every time there's a problem and we know that signups are not working, people are not using the product or something like that, we need to start focusing on what specific things are are breaking in the middle. So one part of analysis we do is quantitative analysis. So for example, we write all of the steps that somebody does to sign up. So they go to a certain page view, then what is the conversion rate to sign up? They sign up. What is the conversion rate to using X feature? How much time? What happens next? Etc. To start finding exactly where it's broken in the middle. And we can find something that is easier to tackle rather than a very generic problem. And then on the qualitative side, it will basically depend on the problem. But I think it's asking who is your target market and people who have both succeeded and failed using your product and asking questions depending on what it is. So for us, for example, if it was top of funnel, like I was saying before, for getting signups, it was about what, are, like, what how do you search for technologies? What do you like learning? What happens if you get blocked with authentication? How do you look for solutions? What are your habits in your day-to-day? Because I think marketing is basically tapping into people's habits. Um, And then, however, another problem we had was people were signing up and then they weren't able to get their application running using Outzero. So some of the questions there were both for people who didn't get it about 
what happened? Where did you get lost? Um, did you go, did you find this documentation? Did you read it? Did you not read it? So it's, it's just like this idea of detective work of trying to understand in a qualitative way what happened. And then when we do a lot of qualitative interviews and we find that a lot of people mention the same thing, we try to convert that to a quantitative problem. So for example, for, for the second one that I was saying, we have a lot of people that were saying that they just weren't able to implement Outsino because they didn't read the docs because they were too long, they didn't have bullets or whatever. So we said, okay, how can we convert this to a quantitative reason? So what we searched was, for example, how many people um, bounce? How many people don't scroll? How many people move very fast between scrolls? And those were the three metrics that we said, okay, this is the specific problem that we need to figure out and work on right now. Got it. Okay. Totally makes sense. Okay. And then so the formulate part in terms of formulating a hypothesis, if if anybody has done any kind of experimentation or A-B testing, they'll probably be familiar with this. But for people who aren't, um, so a hypothesis would probably be something like, for the, for the example you described, might be, um, you know, more people will sign up to use Auth0 if we can provide content that they're searching for on Google. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, and I think it's like one part, like what is... The, like what is the problem statement and then and then it's what will happen then and what you said is exactly right is like more people will sign up that's like what is the problem that we're trying to fix if we write content that helps them and that's the then so i think a, a hypothesis always has these two parts yeah that's great yeah thanks for clarifying that um and then it, the the third step is just in terms of defining a metric and a time frame and a goal uh, what is the process that you go through to to figure those out? Like if somebody is, is saying, okay, yeah, this sounds good. I want to try and implement this myself. Uh, what kind of guidance would you give them to when they think about their own metrics or timeframes and goals? So I think that, um, first of all, sometimes the problem already has the metric. Like we need more signups. That makes sense. Um, it's just a sign up the metric. However, if if it is something like people are not getting the product set up, maybe we need to find something more specific. But I think a lot of times it's either in the problem or based on qualitative research, we need to dig deeper into the funnel and getting analytics on the product or on the page views to see exactly which one of them means what we think the problem is. But I think the metric is something that is that will always go up if we fix it, well, not go up, but it will go to the goal that we want if we fix the problem. Um, and the other thing we need to do to set a goal is once we have the metric, we need to find the baseline. The idea of the baseline is how is it working now um, with, that is not working? So what is the number that means it's not working? With what number would we think that it is working? So for signups, for example, for us, we have a funnel, which was like, okay, we have X people sign up, X people will use the product for free. X percentage of them will convert to paid. This is the end number that we want to get for revenue every month. So then we went back and we said, okay, for getting $100 more every month, we need to get this number of signups every month. So that's the goal that we have. And then for time frame, this is actually the hardest one. Um, at first, I remember for blog posts, we tried two weeks and then it wasn't working out. And then we saw that articles that were older were still getting signups and maybe they were increasing. So we said, okay, we need to increase the time frame. But I think that that in order to get the right time frame, it does require a lot of times either a lot of try and error or something else that I do is I try to talk to other companies and other people to understand what are their time frames and see if they fit to us. Yeah. And do, do you kind of try to sort of run experiments time frame wise where you can kind of get some sort of you know statistically significant result or or kind of is it just based on you know we're going to try and do this for like a 30-day sprint and we expect this kind of result at the end or is it a combination of both that's a very good question so to be honest in the beginning for the examples i was giving um i didn't even know that we i, I had to do something out that had statistical significance so in the beginning it was only a time frame however now we do check for numbers that need to have a statistical significance and for that now what we use is there are like different ways for 
measuring that. There is one that is more accurate, that is uh, Bashisian, the, the Bashisian way using uh, Bashes, or I don't know how to pronounce it in English, um, who is a very known statistician. And we actually use that. And with that, now we can calculate the time frame. So for example, we're now running an A-B testing in the dashboard where we're giving people a better onboarding. And based on how many people now come to the dashboard and see the experiment, we know that it's going to take us 17 days to know if there is a difference of at least 10% better or worse. And that is what we are looking for. So that means that we only need to run the test for 17 days and then cut it. And then if we see that there's no result, that means that we need to iterate. But now we actually use that. That's, that was a great question. Got it. And, and there are a ton of like calculators out there that can help you kind of figure out um, this sort of information, right, in terms of statistical significance. Yes, there's one that I actually like a lot. That's called the A-B test sample size calculator from Optimizely. Um, that is actually pretty good. Um, however, it's based on a simpler metric of around like what is the sample size that you need. Um, the one that we are working on, it, that we are using is Bashisian, as I was saying. And we're actually planning to open source it in the upcoming months um, and share it with the rest because I think it's something that's, that's awesome. All of these tools will always tell you what is the sample size that you need. And then the only thing you need to do is if this is the amount of people I get every month or every day, how many days or how many months do I need to wait so that I get to the sample size that I need? Right, totally. And then the the fifth step, verify the data. And I guess the primarily you're looking at, you know, in terms of what the goal was, what the metric, what was the primary metric that you set and, and how you did against that. Um, but if if the experiment isn't considered a success, like what are some of the things that you try to look under the sort of surface in terms of the data that you have? I think it's decomposing the metrics that you picked by different segments. So what we always do for that is, let's say a signups didn't work. And then we say, okay, didn't signups from, I don't know, a particular industry didn't work or signups that came from a particular source or signups that didn't from a particular landing page. Because when you start segmenting them, maybe what you see is that this worked for a particular segment, but not for others. And that can inform you for the next experiment. So I think it's always key to start thinking of that. To give you an example, um, the one that I mentioned at the beginning, I was saying that we did get a lot of page views, but then we didn't get any signups. So we dig deeper into page views and we segmented them by source, by landing, by returning user. And then what happened is that all of the page views that we had were from returning users. And that's how we knew that these people had an Outsido account before. And that's what informed us for the next experiment. Got it. Awesome. Uh, that's a that's a great great kind of methodology. Um, very similar to anyone you know, as I said, in terms of anyone who might be doing A/B testing kind of thing, um, maybe for conversion rate optimization or something like that. But I love the way that you've kind of applied this to the whole uh, marketing approach um, and kind of the way the whole team works. I, I'm I'm curious. I mean, maybe it wasn't so much of an issue because you started. Um, in the very early stages of the business, but, uh, since then, like, have you hired people from kind of more, let's call it traditional marketing backgrounds? And, and if so, like, how have they kind of responded to this sort of approach into marketing? So I think that in general, sometimes it's hard to get people that have the more traditional approach to go into experimentation. Um, what I what I what I saw that worked with that is actually showing them how experimentation can help them be better. However, I actually do like that we have traditional marketers in the team because I think diversity is key. If everybody thought the same as me, like we couldn't have any new ideas. So I think it's key that we can actually work together and talk to each other and have a more diverse team to start getting better ideas to experiment. Because even if they don't accept the process, maybe at first, they still have very good ideas that come from our background that now we can test. To give you an example, I remember I had one person from product marketing that they said, no, it's all about storytelling. So this is a story that we should write and it's gonna work. And they actually had really good ideas about what was the story that we needed to do. But 
I wanted to test them out. So what we ended up doing is actually A-B testings on different pages with having the story we had versus the story they were proposing. And it works. Their story was much better. I was just not comfortable with going forward with that without experimentation. But then by continually experimenting on what they were recommending, we were actually able to even improve the message that they were saying even more than they thought. And that's when they started accepting that this process is a very good process to use. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, one thing I think about with maybe people thinking about this approach who are not used to doing this, it sounds like a lot of work in terms of analytics and data and, you know, just spending a lot of time figuring out the data because before you can even actually run an experiment. And, you know, in, in terms of when you were in the early days, like how much of an issue was that for you guys? It was a little bit hard, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's hard sometimes to sell the idea that this will take a little bit more time. But there's another phrase that I love that is that to go faster, sometimes you need to go slower first. And the idea is that if you don't have a framework I don't think you can continually improve because then if you do something fast and it works, but you don't have a framework or a reason on why it worked, you can't reproduce it. To me, using this framework is all about reproduce, it's about reproducibility. So if I understand the process and the process works, I can continue to use the process to improve ideas that I have. However, the other way I cannot. What actually helps, to be honest, is that both the co-founders are engineers. So I think that that made them appreciate a little bit more of the process, but it's a tough sale. And I do think that you need to get buy-in from the rest before doing it. Another way that I used is actually showing that other companies were doing the same. Once you can start, I think that similar to case studies, like when you see that somebody else is doing and they are doing great, then maybe you can do great as well. So I think that showing them that, for example, Twilio was using this sort of process um, Mongo, even Facebook. Facebook has their growth team and they have this idea of you need seven friends in three days to succeed and then if you do that, you will continue. They iterated a lot to get to that number. So once you show the big companies are doing that, that can help you get buy-in in the company. Uh, so how, how has that sort of played out? Like what numbers can you share with us uh, about Auth0 in terms of the size of the company? Yeah, sure. So basically, when we started, we had, when it was flat, it was 1500 signups. Um, now we are actually more than 10x that number of signups every month. And we were able to group them little by little every, every year. Um, I can't share the revenue number, um, but we are now on eight figures revenue. And when I started, I think we were only at like 200k or something like that. Um, so I think that, a year. yeah, exactly a year. So I think that something like this, um, this model definitely works. And I was, I was saying Outsido is mostly marketing focused and most of the revenue comes from marketing. And I don't think we could have done this if we wouldn't have used this process. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, especially to, to go in that sort of period of time to an eight figure business, um, you know, it's it's clearly working for you guys. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. And what I like is that considering we're growing fast, the challenges and the problems we have every year, every month, every quarter, they change so often that it still makes it fun because it's a challenge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The only constant is change, right? <laughs> exactly. One hundred percent right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, great. So it's uh, it's time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you uh, seven questions. Um, just kind of answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Um, I think one of the best ones is around focus. Um, even though we're doing experimentation, in the beginning we were doing so, so, so many experiments at the same time that it was great to to start like building up and like creating the company. But then as we started to grow a little bit, um, I think that having focus on specific areas to make experiments can make you improve much faster. Because as I was saying, experimentation is all around iteration. So if you can iterate faster, you're gonna get better faster. And to iterate faster, you need to focus and choose exactly what area or what are you um, experimenting on. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? 
So I'm a big fan of two books. Um, one of them is Thinking Fast and Slow. It talks about how the brain works, how we have system one, system two, and it talks a lot about like how we make decisions um, and why. I think that if you're working in a company and targeting human beings, it's very interesting to think about how they think to be able to send the correct message to them. And then the other one that is one of my favorites now is Homo Deus from Harari. Um, I think it makes us be reflective of where we are going. I feel that Harari puts himself in the position of a prophet where he predicts the future so that it doesn't happen, but it makes you think a lot about where are we going? And it's very philosophical books. I'm a big fan of philosophy in general. That's why I like it. I don't know if it's useful for something in particular. I just enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? So I think that the main one is embrace being uncomfortable. Um, there's a book that I also love that's called The Advantage. And they talk about how companies only focus on numbers in general, which I think they should, but they don't focus sometimes on organizational health, how to have better teams. And that's because a lot of people hate being uncomfortable. And I think that if you are uncomfortable, you grow a lot. So I think embrace being uncomfortable. Another one that I think is a great attribute is being genuine. And that's why I love the phrase that I was saying before. And of course, it's around endurance and, and being energetic, I think. What's uh, your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? It's booking myself time in the calendar. Back then, I used to have a to-do list and I hated it because having the to-do list means I need to do that, but I don't know when. So I still have this cognitive load in my brain that I need to do it. I don't know when. It gives me anxiety. So now what I do is I book myself time in the calendar. So that gives me focus on if it's booked there for one hour, I'm going to work on that for that hour. I don't have to think when I'm going to do it because it's, it's, everything is in the calendar. Yeah, dude, that's so, so true that, you know, even if you use something like, you know, GTD or getting things done, you kind of feel like you have a good list of things to do, but that's exactly where I fall short as well. You start the day and I probably spend more time going up and down the list all the time, figuring out what I'm going to do. Whereas if you can kind of commit in advance and say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to break down my schedule and I'm going to do this at this time and this at this time. Um, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a good hack. It kind of makes it easier to, to stop, not waste time figuring out what yeah. you're going to do. Yeah, I agree. And I think that to me, it's such a cognitive load of being worried, being anxious, checking the list that it's definitely not worth it. And the other advantage that you have is expectations. So sometimes somebody gives me a talk and they say, hey, can you review this talk? So I book myself time and I say, I can do it next Wednesday. Is that okay? And if they say no, I can see what other times I have booked with myself and then move them around so that I can give better expectation of when I'm doing things to people. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what's the new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the time? Um, so it's not a business idea, but something that I would love to do is be a, either a, I would love to be like a stand-up comedian. Um, that was something that I, I would definitely love or something that I would like to do in the future is doing more coaching to people. Something that I know that makes me feel great is helping other people succeed. So if there's a business idea around that, I would love to do that. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? It has to do with stand-up comedy as well. So I was, I was like bullied a lot when I was in primary school because of being like fat. So I was like really, really shy. So I thought like maybe if I do stand-up comedy, I can stop being shy. So I did two years of stand-up comedy just to be less shy. And I think that I'm still shy, but now I embrace being uncomfortable. Like now, like before we started the podcast, I was very uncomfortable because it's about sharing. But I think it's, it's stand-up comedy has helped me be better at, at just doing it. I love it. And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? So one of them is definitely eating. I'm a big foodie. Every time I see, I, I now have like the list of the 50 best places to eat in the world. So when I go to a city and there's one, I just book it. Another one is, well, I say reading, but I don't really read. I use Audible, but I listen to two books um, every month. And then the other one is that I'm, I'm a big fan of meditation. I try to meditate every day. And of course, going out with friends. I'm, I, I love going out. Awesome. That's a great list. Um, okay. So if people want to find out more about Auth0, they can go to auth, A-U-T-H-0.com. 
And uh, if they want to learn more about you, they can also check out your personal website, which is at gon.to. Um, and if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So usually it's either Twitter. Um, in Twitter, I'm mgonto, so M-G-O-N-T-O. Or if they go to my personal website, uh, the one you mentioned, gon.to, there's a contact form. So if they contact me there, I'll get an email. But either of the two is, is fine. Awesome. Gonta, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed this conversation. Um, and uh, I, I wish you all the best uh, with Auth0. Uh, thank you very much. And thanks again for inviting. I enjoyed the conversation as well. Hopefully we can talk soon. It was fun. Thanks, man. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.